BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Thursday, November 17, 2022. So many headlines uh, in the newspaper, so much to talk about. My mind is sometimes just like blowing up. I just keep stuffing stuff in my brain. I don't know how my little brain can contain all the stuff I'm stuffing into it because every day there's more stuff to stuff in it. But this one, I, this one is like, this one, oh my goodness, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. This one, I got a shout out to the Sun-Times headline writer uh, who wrote this headline that appeared on my beloved bright one, Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered as always. Uh, yes, you're welcome, Chicago. I prop up the Sun-Times with my home delivery. All you freebies getting it for free on the internet. <laughs> Dummy Ben up, pay a subscription fee. Uh, Chicago Sun-Times headline. Do as I say, not as I do. D o u g h. Upon get it. Uh, we all know what's going on. I call it Donut Gate. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who uh, swears up and down that she's an environmentalist and cares very deeply about uh, the long-term future of the planet, uh, had her security squad uh, pop out, <laughs> park in a bike lane while she popped out of the car to get herself a donut. I am not hating on her for getting the donut. Let me just make that clear, America, okay? The mayor wants a donut. She can have a donut, all right? I would even buy her a donut. I am not biased against donuts. Allow that to be clear, all right? I'm just going to make that clear. But for Lord's sake, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, have the crew go park in a parking lot. Don't park in a parking lane. You know what? Do what everybody else does. Drive up the street until you see an empty, uh, an empty spot. Then fill that meter. Fill that meter. Yeah, you got to fill the meter. Like all the rest of the suckers and saps in the city of Chicago. Thank you, Mayor. Who was it? Daly. 35 to 5 with the vote on that one. Heck of a job, City Council, on that. My two distinguished guests were not part of the City Council then, so they cannot be blamed for the parking meter deal. So I could go on and on about this. And then, like, remember the debate, Mark Wallace, shout out Mark Wallace, the huge debate we had on this show for, like, weeks whether we should lower the threshold on uh, speed light 
uh, excuse me, speed cameras uh, in the city of Chicago, whether that was an unfair tax on poor people, uh, as Mark Wallace said it was. And the mayor said, no, no, stop saying that. It's for safety. Well, what about the bicyclists who are going down the street and got to pull around into the traffic because your security squad parked in the parking lane? I'm all fired up on that one, ladies and gentlemen. I could go on and on. But let me just one more time. It is not the donut. Okay? Mayor wants a donut. She's free to have a donut. She can have a cream-filled donut. I don't care. Jelly-filled. A little glaze one, like little crumbs on it. Like the one with the, like the peanut butter crumbs on it. That's my favorite. Uh, and then, uh, before I bring on my distinguished guest, this headline, which was really a statement of the times, uh, this is wow. This is, so this comes, this is not a legitimate news source. Uh, I get, I, for reasons I do not know, it must be my demographic. I am flooded, bombarded with, uh, emails from MAGA. I mean, 20 an hour, it seems like. So this one is from some right-wing outfit. I have no idea who's behind it, but they usually are singing Trump's praise. So distinguished guests, listen to this headline. This came uh, today at 1.30. Ron DeSantis up 18 points over Donald Trump and hypothetical GOP primary. So I'm reading this thing, and I'm like, who? first of all, who knows if it's true? Uh, I mean, if, that's all BS that MAGA puts out anyway. It's all propaganda. But just think about what they're putting out. Ron DeSantis up 18 points over Donald Trump at hypothetical GOP primary. Donald Trump just announced he was running again. So they're clearly, MAGA is clearly indicating they don't want Donnie Trump running. They want him out of the game, and they and their their guy is Ron DeSantis. I mean, I, this, stuff, this, this outfit, which I will not name because I don't want to give them any attention, but they're usually putting out pro-Trump propaganda. Now all of a sudden they're put, putting out anti-Trump propaganda. So at the mayor city of Chicago, having her security crew parking in uh, the parking lane and MAGA turning on Trump. Up is down, down is up in the world of politics. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to start with distinguished guest whose first initial is R. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Other woman, Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez. Um, other woman of the 33rd Ward, um, and I'm here with my distinguished colleague. <laughs> yes, distinguished colleague and guest whose first That's right. initial That's is right. C. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, alderman of the 35th Ward. Yes. Northwest side, what up? Uh, and we've, I've had as uh, Carlos as a guest solo and Rosanna as a guest solo, but they were so good uh, paired up last time. I said, I got to bring them back as a duo. Uh, so here they are together again and they share the mic. I really like that about them. Um, all right, let's start with donut gate. And if you have, do you have any thoughts about it? Uh, Carlos, we'll start with you. Any thoughts about, uh, the aforementioned donut gate? Go ahead. You know, it's just, it's another self-inflicted error from the mayor. How easy is it to just drop one of your 20 security detail people off at whatever donut place you want to get a donut from and have them run in and then you go and park down the street and wait there, take care of some business, make your important mayoral phone calls while they're running inside getting a donut. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just um, really dumb on the part of the mayor and her team, but this is not the dumbest thing that her security detail has done. Um, most recently they were shooting at people um, in uh, Logan square. Um, so they took an, uh, underutilized streets and sanitation building, 
turned it into like a hideout of sorts for her detail, um, just like a mile or two away from uh, the mayor's home. I suspect it's so that they can't go inside to use the bathroom. Um, famously, Mayor Lori Lightfoot does not like people that work for her using the bathroom in her home. We all learned that from a Yelp review of a driver that drove her to a Bulls game or was it a concert at United Center. Uh, long before she became mayor, she complained in the Yelp review that he wanted to use the bathroom in her home. So I suppose that she doesn't want her security detail using the bathroom in her home. So they set up this like little hideout for them. And this unfortunate incident happened where this man was attacked, mugged in the street, and the security detail decided to run out of the building in which they were uh, resting or surveilling the mayor's home via cameras or something and just start shooting uh, indiscriminately into the street, uh, which is not a thing that you should do if you're trying to keep people safe. And bullets actually flew into people's homes uh, shot by the mayor's security detail. So, again, we're not really expecting much from them, um, but it was just really unfortunate. Uh, that they blocked the bike lane there. And the mayor seemingly did not care that she did that. I, was, I, think, go ahead. I think also right now there has been so much conversation about bike infrastructure, about the need to keep people who are biking around the city safe, around how vulnerable people are on the streets when they are biking. And when you block a lane, that is a bike lane, when you block it with your car, you are effectively putting people at risk. And the conversations around that right now are everywhere. It is where the conversation is every day. Every day, that is where the conversation is. And people, you know, trying to make sure that there is better bike infrastructure. And then they go and they park that massive SUV on a bike lane. You shouldn't even stop there, right? Like you look for a place to stop and then drop whoever out because parking on a bike lane, not even for like a minute is something that we should be doing. It puts people at risk. So I think it's really, it's really dumb, but it's also sort of, I don't know, confusing that with so much happening around that conversation, they would not be aware of it. It's like nothing is happening. Um, and then you mentioned all of this, like, that discourse around safety when we talked about the, the 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 thresholds for the speed cameras, but in 2020, do you remember that that the mayor's uh, detail had a bunch of tickets from yes. red lights and speeding cameras? <laughs> yes, that I remember that. Yeah. And then it, it turned out that that some of those tickets um, were issued when she was going to events that were not actual official events. Um, so I mean, this is just you know all of the hypocrisy and the, the 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 talking out of both sides of your mouth all the time, which I, we have come to get used to it. Well, I uh, I would like to point out uh, that uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's detail is not the only one that goes through uh, red lights. Uh, Mayor Rahm did the same thing. So you know, in fairness to Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, uh, but, but they donuts sell out. Okay, they gotta get the yeah, they gotta get those. Uh, but, uh, I mean, there's a larger discussion that I just had today in an earlier, uh, episode, which I urge everybody to check out with Alden Lowry, the distinguished journalist for WBEZ, really, uh, really smart guy, great conversation. Uh, but we were, t he's talking, one of his favorite themes, 
uh, was about low voter turnout. We were talking about the nihilistic attitude of Chicago. It's like nothing matters. You know, this is just this sense of there's a strong sense of cynicism in the city of Chicago. We're going to talk about the midterms in a little while. But Carlos, I'm probably going to just raise it now. The voter turnout in the city of Chicago for these midterms, despite all the uh, discussion and hype over the significance of the election is somewhere in the 40s. I don't think they've actually come up with an exact number yet because they're still counting votes. Let's say at best it's 45%. That is atrocious. That's absolutely atrocious. And there's all joking aside about Mayor Donuts and Donut Gate and needing the, the, the jelly filled as opposed to the sugar coated. The reality is that when politicians, elected officials don't practice what they preach, when they absolutely violate the things they swear up and down, it's all about. That just feeds the sense of nihilism that Chicago's rigged, that nobody nobody stands for anything. It's all it's all phony and fraudulent. Why vote? I actually do believe there's a serious uh, ramification. All this. Take it away, Carlos. No, you're absolutely right. When uh, politicians misinform the public. When they say one thing and do another, it leads to a cynicism. It leads to voter disengagement, this belief that you can vote, but nothing's going to change. And so we need politicians that keep their word. We need politicians that inspire confidence in the public, that they can participate in a system, and that their vote will have an impact on the public policy that is informing the way in which they live their lives. And I think that, one, this mayor, when she was running in 2019, she went to every single community forum that she could get into and said that she was going to implement every single progressive policy that people had fought for under Rahm Emanuel that he had blocked. She said she was going to undo the harm that Mayor Rahm Emanuel had perpetrated against the city of Chicago on policing, on the environment, on education, on housing, on issue after issue reopening the shuttered mental health clinics. And then the moment she took office, she started breaking promises left and right. I think the first canary in the coal mine, uh, massive canary in the coal mine, I don't know what what's a bigger bird, maybe a... a um, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, was when she flip-flopped uh, egregiously on the Lincoln Yards TIFF. Right. She she made this a central point of the 2019 campaign. She said that she was going to be against it, that she was going to work against it. And without her even taking office. Right. Rom says, I'm going to leave it up to Lori. She's the next mayor. She's going to call the shot here. She goes and has some meeting with some rich muckety mucks. And she comes out of that meeting and says, oh, actually, the tip for Lincoln Yards is the best thing in the world. And we're going to get it done and we're going to move it forward. Um, and, and so I, I think that, you know, there's so much cynicism in Chicago because, unfortunately, we've had too many chief executives that lie. And it's not just, you know, big city Democratic mayors like Lori Lightfoot. We have, of course, the number one example, Donald Trump. We have, of course, our own little wannabe version of Donald Trump, who failed spectacularly on uh, Election Day, and that was Darren Bailey. And, and to this point of, you know, honesty in our elected officials, I think the voters rewarded uh, Pritzker in a big way because he ran on a progressive platform. He implemented so much of it. Uh, and in a year that was supposed to be a big Republican wave, Illinois held uh, and, and Democrats did well, even though we did see such a big drop to your point earlier in Democratic participation. 2018, when Pritzker beat um, uh, that other horrible uh, <laughs> lying yeah. uh, uh, rounder, yeah. uh, 
there was about 900,000 people that voted in Chicago. It was a uh, turnout in like the, the low 60s. Uh, we did have 44% turnout, so we had a 16-point drop in turnout. But despite that huge drop in Democratic voter turnout in a big major American city, we still saw Democrats do really well. And not just do well, they actually increased their share of the Illinois House. Rosanna, why don't you, uh, we're, we're in the midterms, I guess, I'm, well, I might as well just finish this uh, and then do uh, the other stuff we were going to talk about later, uh, but midterms. Uh, I have so many feelings about the midterms. Go ahead, Something your thoughts. Something I found interesting was that our people came out to vote. The, the people that we have engaged, the people that we have identified as the people who agree with our ideas and the people that we have had conversations with about why we are doing what we're doing, why are we building these projects, those people came to, out to vote. I think that the people who are disenchanted and that have not been able to be convinced um, and that might not be close to our ideas, but then the options that are out there are what? <laughs> Um, we have been able to speak concretely to the things that we want to do. And we don't lie, right? Like we don't lie to people. Um, and, 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 and we have been delivering and saying and, do, and doing what we said that we were going to do. I think that was a, Delia is a great example of that. Delia Ramirez ran um, in, on a platform of, of making sure that the people who most needed were uh, tended to. She went to Springfield and she was able to deliver um, Medicare uh, and Medicaid for, for undocumented people. She did that. She, she delivered that, right? And I think when you have people that tell you, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do, and they come back with their receipts and they come back saying, this is what I stood here for. This is what I organized with people for. And this is what I accomplished. It's a lot easier to come and give your vote of confidence so that those people continue to do that work. So our people came out and our people came out because we went out to get them as well. Right. So that also speaks to the work that we did as coalitions. Um, to make sure that voters were engaged. All right. Now, I need to, be, this is an important point. Define who, when you say our people, who, what do you mean by our people? So, so here in the Northwest side, we have been building a progressive coalition. Um, a lot of it has been in, in coalition with United Working Families. We have uh, independent political organizations that we have uh, built from the ground up. Uh, since 2015, when Carlos was elected and Tim Meehan, who was the teacher at Roosevelt High School, ran for office. He did not win, but he was 17 votes away from a runoff with the Mel machine. Um, and we continue to organize, right? And, and, and then United Working Families was also being born at that moment. And we have only grown from there. Delia Ramirez created United with Delia at that point. She ran in 2018. Um, we were very involved in her, in her campaign as well. Then I ran and I won. And now we have all sorts of people elected to office, right? We have been able to elect the first socialist commissioner to the Board of Commissioners in Cook County. Um, so this is a project that we have been building with a lot of love, with a lot of sacrifice, with a lot of fight. Um, and we are demonstrating that when you do that, when you engage people, when you organize, when you keep your word, you can actually build strong movements that will bring people up to vote. 
Uh, well, I'm going to make a contrast, and uh, we'll start with Carlos and get your thoughts, and then Rosanna, you can uh, uh, chime in as well about this one. I follow New York politics uh, fairly closely for a guy who lives in Chicago. I've always been interested in their their brand of insanity. Okay, uh, New York was a disaster for the Democrats, Carlos. I don't know if you guys follow this, but we three Democratic congressional districts, I think it's three, were flipped. And as a result, uh, Republicans will take control of Congress, okay? So in New York, there is a, um, like a hate that emanates from the centrists, for lack of a better word, the Cuomo crowd uh, that used to be affiliated, uh, they had their leader, uh, Governor Cuomo, was like New York's Rahm Emanuel you could say, maybe even worse than Rom. And it's like, they can't stand the hour in your crowd. Do you follow what I'm saying? They, they like, they cannot stand AOC. Like New York's AOC is, uh, New York city's, uh, Rosanna Rodriguez. Okay. So, uh, and they can't stand her. I think they hate her more than they hate MAGA, which is really weird and twisted. Uh, and, my people, like lefties, we, I'm speaking for myself, I always vote for centrists when push comes to shove. I lose a primary. I vote for this freaking centrist, Carlos, okay? You can make fun of me for that, but that's how I do it. And, and I, vote, I voted for Biden, too. Okay? Yeah. So <laughs> what's going on? Why do they hate our people so much, Carlos? You know, I, I think that um, there is a brand of political operative. Because right? I, I think it's important to, to distinguish between lay people, people who observe politics, people who maybe watch MSNBC or CNN, people who go out and vote every single election, and then people who are actually making decisions that are impacting the way in which electoral politics plays out. And there is a group of corporate Democrats, of leadership within the Democratic Party, who think that it's their role to serve as power brokers between disenfranchised communities and the money interests that play the most significant role in funding elections. And so they believe that unless they kowtow and cater to these moneyed interests, there's absolutely no way whatsoever in which they can advance politically in their careers. And so they have made a business, an industry, out of basically saying, oh, here's a group of you know grassroots activists that want to save the environment. Shut up. Oh, here's a group of people that are dying and drowning in medical debt. You want Medicare for all? Shut up. Right. Because you're going to piss off the healthcare industry. You're going to piss off the oil industry. And those are the people. Right. Those powerful industries. Those are the people that we need so that we this small little tiny wee group of people can be the ones in charge, can be the ones in power and can be the ones wearing the blue suits and going to the fancy events in Washington, D.C. and, uh, you know, on the island of Manhattan. And then there are folks like us. Right. Who view ourselves as an extension of the movement of the people that are at the grassroots level doing the work. Because Rosanna and I understand, if we just say, let's elect a bunch of good, well-meaning people and send them into the halls of power and say, we'll check in with you in two years. We'll check in with you in four years. That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Right? We understand that the most profound and important change always happens from the bottom up. From people coming together in their neighborhoods, whether it be 10, 20, 100, 1,000 people to say we're going to defend immigrant communities, we're going to defend a women's right to choose, we're going to defend housing as a human right, we're going to move towards health care for all. Those folks coming together to accomplish amazing things in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our cities, those are the protagonists of change. And if you're going to be a democratic politician or a democratic socialist politician or an elected official 
that wants to create change, you need to be an extension of the work that's happening in your community. You need to make sure that you have a government that's responding to the people that are working to create change in the neighborhoods. And so it's a very different approach to government, right? There's one where we want to align ourselves with the rich and powerful and be that broker, be that intermediary between the grassroots activists and the poor people and the black people and the brown people and the immigrants. And then there are those that say, you know what? We're an extension of this movement, right? Bernie Sanders says it really well, not me, us, right? It's not about us as individuals. It's about us as a collective. And we're not going to change this country for the better. We're not going to change Chicago City Hall for the better unless we bring people together into a powerful movement that's making demands and coming up with the solutions to the most pressing issues our communities face. And I'm going to follow that up. Yes. I think I think <laughs> that we have the perfect example of what Carlos is talking about here in Chicago in City Council and City Hall. Mayor Lori Lightfoot was elected saying that she was a progressive. By the end of the term, she has said that Nicolas Posado is her conscience and friend, and George Cardenas was her deputy floor leader. And she has been at war with the ones of us that have been trying to actually advance a progressive agenda in the city of Chicago. She has completely rejected our ideas, our proposals. She has been committed to stalling or blocking everything that we propose, even if afterwards she comes and proposes the wrap in a different thing, in a different <laughs> paper, you know, like watered down. Because yeah. that's what she has done the whole time. Same with our colleagues in city in city council. I have heard, like, when, when people started, when the exodus started, and people started saying, okay, I'm out. <laughs> and, and, and interviews that are wrong. Some of my colleagues said it's not fun to, to work here anymore. Why? Because we are here now and we are making noise and people are coming into city council meetings and hearings to say their piece and they know that they have support, which if you want to transition into, <laughs> we had they bring Chicago home hearing. We, we called a special meeting um, of the Chicago City Council last um, uh, Monday, the, the 14th, um, to discuss the proposal of uh, Bring Chicago Home, which would uh, establish a real estate transaction tax um, for properties a million worth a million dollars or more. Um, and the idea of the hearing was actually to talk about putting the question about bring Chicago home, about creating that tax um, to address homelessness on the ballot for the municipal election. We did not think that this was going to be such a big deal. Our colleagues did not show up for the hearing. We did not have quorum. And then we had to recess. Carlos had to get into it with, with Mayor Lightfoot because she um, she, she, she wanted to, to adjourn. And the meeting. Yeah. Exactly. To block this important measure to... Fun housing. Go ahead, Carlos. Talk about. It. Well, wait. Let me just let me just so yeah. everybody understands exactly. So uh, we, this is was the next uh, item on the agenda. Uh, before I do this, though, Rosanna, I have to say I I missed that quote from Lori Lightfoot about uh, my old friend Alderman Spazzato being her conscience. Oh, I missed I that. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I love Nick as much as the next guy, but this guy. He is so right. I think he's right of Trump. Like, he is. He, is. <laughs> he voted for Donald Trump. I know. At least he admitted that. it. At least he admitted he's the only yeah. alderman I know in the city council uh, who admitted he voted for Trump. Do you know any others, Carlos, that have admitted they voted for Trump? 
I can't think of no, any. I suspect a couple though. <laughs> I <suspect. Yeah. laughs> but they're not open about it. But Posada was on Fox the other day talking about how he opposes sanctuary cities and all of these illegals in Chicago when the crime is so high. We're like, oh my God, this, well, Nick, this Nick. is Lori's conscience. <laughs> Nick's really drifted right. All right. Uh, so, okay, so there was a. Um, uh, why don't you take it uh, from A to Z on this one, Carlos? Because this is a fascinating story about power politics in the city of Chicago uh, and about how, uh, again, going back to what I <laughs> began the show with, mayors say one thing when they're candidates and then they do something else when they're mayors. Uh, it's been getting worse because he, over time, because he daily. He didn't even pretend that he was a progressive, okay? You know what I'm saying? He, like, why would I pretend I'm a progressive? But Mayor Rahm, he, he kind of threw out the progressive word he, for transparency everything. Uh, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot ran as a progressive. So take it away, uh, mayors, Carlos. Mayors and aldermen, too, because this was not just Lori. These were our colleagues as well that have talked about themselves as progressive and to be done with the cost. All right. Take it away, Carlos. Go ahead, Carlos. <laughs> so, um, you know, the Chicago Coalition of Homeless has been around for decades. A uh, really great group doing a lot of policy work uh, to make sure that our homeless neighbors uh, are getting into housing. And the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, the federal government have done a horrendous job of getting people into homes. There's countries where if you end up homeless, almost immediately you're placed into housing. That's not the case in the United States, despite the fact that we're one of the richest countries in the world. And there's a ton of research that shows that the solution to homelessness is housing, point blank. If you give a person a permanent roof over their head, that is life-changing. That is the key that is needed to get them other assistance that they may need, whether that be with a job, whether that be with drug addiction. So housing is the solution to homelessness. We know that. There's a lot of research and a lot of uh, models that have proven that time and time again. And so the Chicago Coalition of Homeless said, we want to solve the crisis of homelessness in the city of Chicago by creating a dedicated revenue stream. Year after year, we want to generate over $100 million to build housing, to get people off the streets, off of couches, and into homes. And specifically, the way that they proposed doing this was raising the real estate transfer tax. So when you go and you buy a property or you sell property in the city of Chicago, you pay a real estate transfer tax, just like a sales tax. And um, they said, we want to raise the real estate transfer tax up to 2% for properties that sell for over a million dollars. And the vast majority of properties in the city of Chicago will never sell for over a million dollars anytime soon. I think the medium uh, home price right now is about $350,000. So way uh, short of a million dollars. But they said for properties that sell for over a million dollars, we want to uh, levy this 2% real estate transfer tax. And that will generate anywhere from $100 million to $200 million per year. Because there's going to be properties that sell downtown for hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's going to generate a lot of real estate transfer tax for this ordinance, which they call Bring Chicago Home. So they, they put this forward. A ton of aldermen commit to it on the 2019 campaign trail. Mary Lloyd Lightfoot makes a pledge that she's going to get it done and that she's going to pass this. And then as soon as she gets in office, within weeks, if not just a few months, she does a complete 180 and says, no, I don't support that anymore. Doesn't explain why. She says, well, now actually I want to use the revenue for uh, pensions. And uh, a number of aldermen had signed on to move this measure forward. And she literally calls them and asks them to take their name off of the legislation, to take their name off of the letter, to, to show uh, that there isn't support to move this forward. She then goes to Springfield 
and says, I want to raise the real estate transfer tax, but rather than having the city council put a referendum on the ballot, because state law says if you want to raise the real estate transfer tax, you need to ask the voters if they want to do that. She goes, rather than going through the process that's laid out for the city of Chicago, I want to ask Springfield to raise it for the city of Chicago, and I want it to only go to pensions. So our good friends in the Progressive Caucus, Will Gazzardi, Delia Ramirez, Robert Peters, they go back to the mayor's office and say, look, we're the Chicago delegation. We're the Progressive Caucus in Springfield. If you want us to support this, we need a 50-50 split. Half to pensions, half to housing. Do you think the mayor takes the win and says, yeah, I'll take your support. Let's move this forward. I get to claim a victory that I kept my promise on housing and do really important stuff to help people that are unhoused. And I get to help fund our city's pension liabilities. No, she tells them to go fuck themselves. She tells them that she's not going to compromise. Uh, and, and so the effort fails colossally in Springfield. So we're not going on four years. We're not going on four budgets of the mayor not moving this forward. We have until December 11th for the city council to instruct the Chicago Board of Elections to put this question on the ballot in the February 2023 municipal elections. And so we initiate a campaign with the grassroots, with progressive alders like Maria Haddon, Matt Martin, Rosanna, Daniel Espada, and others. And we say, we want the city council to defy the mayor and vote to put this on the ballot so that we can move this measure forward. And the polling is clear. If we put this question to the voters, they will vote to raise the real estate transfer tax on properties that sell for over a million dollars to raise this money to get people off the street and into homes. And uh, what does the mayor do? <laughs> she shows up to the meeting, calls a bunch of her allies, tells them, don't go to the meeting because we needed 26 people to be at this meeting. So she calls them and says, don't show up to the meeting. And we're having this meeting, but the rules say, if you don't have a quorum to proceed with the meeting, the people are at the, that are at the meeting get to decide whether they want to adjourn or, or whether or not they want to recess. So she tried to legally just adjourn the meeting without a vote. And we said, no, Madam Mayor, read the rules of order and procedure, right? It clearly stipulates that we get to take a recess. We won that fight and we took a recess till 1130 because we figured after the finance committee meeting, we can get to 25. And we had already called every alderman. We had already emailed aldermen. We had already texted them multiple times in the weeks leading up to this meeting to make sure that they would be here. Some of them were already in the building yes. at that time. And there we was, saw them come in. They were literally hiding in the back room <laughs> in council chambers because the mayor told them, don't go into that room. And it wasn't just the mayor's. It was also big, powerful real estate interests, right? So, uh, so we have the meeting again at, at 11.30, reconvene couple hours later that day, we get to 25 members in the chamber, but our rules say we need 26 to proceed. <laughs> Mayor Lightfoot, had she showed up to the city council meeting and done her job and kept her promise that she would support this measure, we'd have the 26 that we would have needed to advance this measure. If any one of the aldermen, Nicholas Fasado, who was hiding in the back, Sam Nugent, 39th Ward, who was hiding in the back, if any one of them had bothered to come into that room we would have had the quorum that we needed to move this measure forward. So it's really frustrating that as the days get colder, as the crisis of homelessness gets worse in our city, that here we have a solution that has been put forward by the homeless community, advocating by the homeless community, that is backed up by research, by experts. We have a mayor who said she was going to support it. We have city councilors, a majority, who said they were going to support it. But now because the mayor flipped her, changed her mind, by the way, I think she changed her mind because she's in the pockets of the real estate interests. Right? They're the biggest donors to municipal candidates. If you look at New York, L.A., Chicago, consistently, 
They're the ones that cut the biggest checks. So now because money has come and told her what to do, she's going to let down the people of the city of Chicago. That's not progressive. It's not. It's bullshit. It's dishonest. It's cruel. And it's just really, really unfortunate um, that, that this mayor wants to continue to claim that she's a progressive while she's using her power to harm the most vulnerable people in our city. It's also anti-democratic. We, we were, all we were trying to do was to post a question to the people of Chicago. You know, and and not even that. We weren't even meeting to pass the, the tax. We, we were going to ask people to to decide. Oh, and, and, and Timmy Knudsen from Lincoln Park, um, you know, from the richest ward in the city, he literally ran out of City Hall. He had been there for the finance committee meeting, and he's walking out. And I'm like, "Hey, Tim, you're gonna stick around for the meeting?" He's like, "I gotta go. I'm not for this. I gotta go," and just like runs out. And it's like, man, you can't even stay just five more minutes to give us quorum so that we can have this hearing. I don't need you to vote for it. Just let us have the hearing. But they don't want to be on the record as having to vote yes or no on it. So instead they want to play this game that, oh, well, the meeting didn't take place. There was no vote. I had a doctor's appointment. I couldn't be there. <laughs> so, all right, that's, okay, so this is really important, listeners. Uh, you need to know this. So there was the first meeting that uh, there was a recess. I believe 14 aldermen showed up for that one. So it wasn't a quorum. You need 26 to have an official quorum. You can have a meeting. The mayor was present at that meeting. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. He was presiding over the meeting. Okay. So then there's the second meeting after the recess. There were 25 aldermen uh, or alder people uh, in that at that meeting, meaning you're one short. Uh, had the mayor been there, she would have been like Kamala Harris, am I understanding this, breaking the vote, if you will. She would have been an honorary alderwoman at that moment, and then you would have had a quorum. Is that correct? Do I understand it? The parliamentary rules of order, yes? Well, our rules of order procedures say that a quorum is a majority of the city council, so 25 plus the mayor. Okay. So she was not at, so she was at the meeting where there was no quorum, but she right. was absent from the meeting where there was a quorum. Do I have that correct? Where uh, she could have made the difference. That's right. <laughs> and, and the alders that who they had told not to come to the meeting, but now they're saying, oh, shoot. Right now, there's a bigger standoff. Now there's more cameras here. There's more people paying attention. Now they knew. So a number of alders that are vulnerable and that are facing real serious challenges, they showed up. Right. Because they're like, now I got to be in this room. Right. But they worked it. And they, meaning the real estate lobbyists, the mayor's office, working hand in hand with their allies in city council, they worked it so that we would have just 25, but that we wouldn't hit that 26 threshold to have the meeting. And, and it's important to point out that the people who have been appointed by the mayor in the last few months, none of them showed up. Nicole Lee did not show up. Monique Scott did not show up. Um, Timmy didn't show up either. So, yeah, I mean, it speaks volumes to, you know, who people are beholden so, to. So, ladies and gentlemen, you have to concentrate on this. And this is very important. This was not a vote to approve the tax. This was a vote to give you, the people, the opportunity to approve the tax or defeat the tax. You could have voted it down, just like you voted down the fair tax back in 2020. You had a chance. You voted it down. 
you took Kenny G's money and all those dumb commercials and you voted it down. And now your taxes are going to go up. I try to tell you the other way, but you didn't listen to me. You listened to Kenny G's commercials. So this is a very important point, Rosanna and Carlos. This was not a meeting to impose the tax. This was a meeting to put on the ballot on February 22nd. That would have been a binding referendum. In other words, if the voters had voted yes, would that tax been implemented or would it have been an advisory referendum, in which case... It, it's uh, binding. So state law stipulates that in order for uh, the real estate transfer tax to be raised by the city of Chicago, uh, we need to ask the voters. Um, so the step after the voters... Uh, vote to approve it is that the city council that raises the real estate transfer. So it, of the 25 people who showed up at that meeting, okay, what would you think if if you had had the vote? Would it have carried? Would you have won? Would you have prevailed of the 25 people who showed up at that meeting? You know, that's a good question. Uh, in my many years, in our many years of doing this, what we've come to learn is that there are people that tell you they're with you until they're not, right? And so if they don't think that there's a shot of this moving forward, that it stands any chance. They'll say, yeah, I'm for it, I'm for it. They'll tell their constituents. They'll tell the community groups, we're for it. And then once push comes to shove and they really got to let us know, they got to use their legislative power to move this forward or not, that's when you sort of find out. And we saw that with civilian oversight of the police. There were a number of alders, uh, many of who have since retired or are retiring or facing serious challenges, who told us consistently, almost all unanimously in, in white liberal wards, we're with you, we're with you, we're with you. And then once we were like, all right, you're our 27th vote, and we're going to move this next week. Well, then it was like, oh, actually, I need these changes. Oh, I don't know about this. <laughs> um, and, and it's just frustrating, right? Because you yeah. want one, you want to be able to have people that you could deal with honestly. Just tell me. Right? Just tell, I would prefer that they tell me, you know what, Carlos, I'm in the pocket of real estate interests. I'm their guy. I'm their gal. I'm going to put on a, you know, a sports jacket with you know, realtors trademark on the back um I, I prefer that they would just be honest and forthright rather than play these games um because the people of the city of chicago don't deserve this particularly when at the grassroots level they're coming together to dream up solutions and to research solutions right they're not getting paid to do this there were so many people there were dozens of people who took off of work to be at that council meeting they weren't even afforded the opportunity to testify right and here there are people who this is their full-time job that are getting a handsome salary from the people of the city of Chicago, and they can't even bother to show up. Uh, so I just need to know, I don't know the answer to this question. Uh, or was Raylo or uh, Anthony Beal at this meeting? He did. You know, running for mayor, you'll be shocked. It gives people religion. <laughs> I think more people in the city council should run for mayor right now. Maybe they'll take better votes. Um, so Raymond was not at the first meeting. Then he posted a picture of him getting uh, his tire fixed. Okay. And was like, I have a flat tire. And then sure enough, at the 1130 <laughs> reconvening of the meeting, he was there. Um, and, and, Anthony, so, um, and Anthony Beal, was he at, at the, I don't think he was there. Oh, come on guys. I, come on. I mean, we give you every month. David Glowatz comes on the show and we dutifully play, uh, foot tapes of Anthony Beal denouncing the parliamentary maneuvers of mayor, uh, mayor Lori Lightfoot that have stymied council independence. <laughs> and you're a no show on this thing. But let me tell you something, Carlos, I'm going to tell you my experience. Centrists don't have it anymore. 
And I'm going to tell you this, Rosanna, as well. I've been following centrists in the city council. They don't even, in the old days, they weren't even called centrists. They, they were called regulars. Bernie Stone, Burton Ateras, legends, okay? They would stand up there and give you chapter and verse about property owners' rights and why they have a principled opposition to this. No, but they would take the hit. They wouldn't pretend they were progressives. You know, they, they would be like, Ben, well, you liberals don't understand. And then they would explain to me what I don't. They would Ben-splain me. And so, uh, you know, so. That was a perfect Bernie Stone. No, yeah, thank God. <laughs> I mean, come on, Bernie's my guy. You know, we fought so many times, but at least he fought. You know what I mean? Like, he wouldn't run from a fight. And, you know, so. There, but you know, I'm go ahead. say that, that about the, the centuries don't have it anymore. I, one thing that I have come to realize being in city council is that most of the people inside of city council don't really have politics. They don't know. They don't have a framework through which they look at things. They take one thing after the other, depending on where their interest lies and like if they if that will get them reelected or not. And if they are being nice to whatever friend or keeping this relationship or the other. But there is not actually an analysis, like a political analysis of why we are doing things. Right. So there's a lot happening in city council when it comes to legislation that is based on that, on who you have a relationship with. And then there's us that come in with a leftist perspective, right, with a socialist perspective, with a perspective of expanding social services and public services particularly, right? And then you have all these neoliberal people that like to say that they're progressive because, I don't know, because they stand with LGBTQ rights or, you know, they pick and choose the progressive causes. And but, but, but then there is not like a continuity. There is not like a like a like a bigger picture right of what what is the framework that we are using to be able to advance a progressive vision for the city that doesn't exist except for the lefties that came in um so whenever you know like there's so much contradiction happening at all times because people will tell you that they're progressive but they actually don't know what that means or they actually don't want to know what that means they don't they are not engaged with the idea of progressive politics um one example, if you allow me, of something that happened also last week was the Anjanette uh, Young Ordinance that Maria Haddon um, and, and Janet Taylor were leading on um, that it, it got voted down in the in the Committee on Public Safety to everybody's shock. Um, it, it was... It was devastating. And Jeanette Young was there talking to people about what she experienced and why it was important to pass the Jeanette Young ordinance um, about uh, no-knock uh, raids in Chicago that could be so harmful to people. She testified. It was, and it, I mean, women in the in the um, in the public safety committee voted against it. It was. I was so heartbroken that day. And it's because there is no understanding. There's no vision. There is no political lens. It is, is this going to piss off the mayor or not? Is this going to piss off developers or not? Am I going to have a job if I don't win my next election or not? You can't really do politics and transform a city if everything that you're doing is based on the fear that you have of like, 
losing relationships or, you know, the mayor not liking you. You can't do politics like that. Yeah, no, it's a very transactional town. Uh, and uh, we're gonna, I'm going to hold off a deep dive into the Anjanette Young thing, which we've talked so much about. She's been a guest on the show. Uh, and uh, as, of course, Jeanette Taylor's a regular. Um, all right, so going back to the Bring uh, Chicago Home Ordinance, two questions. Uh, who would pay the tax, buyer or seller? Um, you know, I, I think that that is uh, based upon the transaction. I see. Um, but generally, it would be the the buyer. The buyer would pay the tax. Uh, okay. And uh, secondly, um, can you bring it back? Okay, so February 22nd, there's a municipal election. Undoubtedly, there will be a runoff. I, I will bet you, either one of you, all <laughs> there will be at least one run. Some alderman is going to be in a runoff. <laughs> the mayor will be in a There will be an April. I think it's in April. There will be an April runoff. So can you put it back on that ballot? So we cannot put it on a runoff uh, ballot um, because, one, there's a possibility, unlikely, but there's a possibility that every election is one with 50% plus one. So there's no guarantee that there will be an April runoff in the city of Chicago. As much now, as we know that there will be. Yeah. Wait, tell me, is that stipulated in law or is that just yes. so, what some so lawyers told you? The, the, the Illinois law. Our next opportunity to put it on the ballot would be March of 2024 at the uh, primary election, uh, the presidential year. And so that that's our next step. But it's, it's just so frustrating that because we have till December 11th to put it on the February 2023 ballot. Um, and so the mayor still has an opportunity to right her wrong, to come through on this promise and to help our unhoused neighbors and to deal with the crisisness of homelessness in our communities. She still has an opportunity to do so December 11th. Um, so we have a little less than a month for her to get it done. Uh, however, we know it's going to be difficult uh, to get her there in the next month. Um, but um, but if she doesn't get it done by December 11th, then her next opportunity to do so would be to pass something as early as March of 2023. So she could either pass it while she's facing a runoff election in April, or who knows, maybe she shocks the world and, and wins outright in February of 2023. I don't think that's the case. Um, but she could pass it, you know, as, as she ends up, as she, as she uh, winds up this turn. So um, it's just really frustrating to think that we had a mayor who ran as a progressive, who promises to the people of the city of Chicago, we have now gone four years without this measure in place. If we had implemented this as soon as she became mayor, she had put this on the uh, March 2020 ballot, uh, we would have generated hundreds of millions of dollars by now. We would have been building housing to get people off the streets. And as, as the days get colder, you know, just two weeks ago, um, I was at an encampment in the 35th Ward and we replaced everyone's tents. There's this great guy named Andy who owns a company called Plants Delivered. He also has a nonprofit. Um, and he um, buys ice fishing tents because they're, they're big and they're warm. And he works with a team of volunteers to build these ice fishing tents to replace people's tents, which oftentimes are not suitable um, for the winter. Really, I mean, no one should be wintering in a tent. But... Um, uh, we were out replacing all the tents at an encampment in my ward with these ice fishing tents. And it was beautiful to see the community come together to take care of each other. But in the richest country in the world, in one of the capitals of global capital, right, we have a gross domestic product here in the city of Chicago that rivals the country of Switzerland. Over $550 billion per year of wealth are generated here in the city of Chicago. 
And yet it's, it's falling on individuals, small business owners, community members to build ice fishing tents for their homeless neighbors. When we had a mayor who promised to get this done in her first year. So it's, it's just really upsetting. It's, it's disappointing. But I saw the fight that the people brought to City Hall on Monday. We saw that fight. And I'm confident that we're going to continue fighting. I'm confident that we're going to elect real, true progressive champions in 2023. And we're going to get this done in 2024. We're going to do right by the people of the city of Chicago. All right. I can think of two real estate transactions just off the top of my head that had this been implemented in 2019 would have brought in a lot of uh, change. Uh, Bruce Rauner, when he sold his uh one of his many homes in Chicago to move to Florida, uh, former governor. And of course, Kenny G, the aforementioned Kenny G, not the great sax player. Well, some people would say he's not a great sax player, but not the sax player. The guy who funds all these <laughs> right wingers, Ken Griffith, one of the richest men in the world. Uh, uh, he also moved to Florida. They're all going to Florida. Uh, anyway, uh, he sold some, he's got some property for sale, but it brought in a lot of money. All right, we're going to close this down. At the beginning of our term in 2019, I introduced um, a, a corporate head tax that Rahm Emanuel had, um, had taken away. Um, and we were told no, <laughs> absolutely no taxing the rich, absolutely no taxing these companies because they're going to leave. In the middle of a climate crisis where we are right next to like a fresh water, a body of fresh water, um, I don't think people are leaving. I think that these are actually things that, that these companies can afford so that the most vulnerable in our in our city can actually have access to, to, to life-saving care. Um, but, you know, this administration has absolutely refused to do any of that. Well, this is an ongoing fight. How are we going to pay our bills with progressive taxes or regressive taxes? And uh, this fight will be going on for a while. All right. I, I have to close with a little promotional work. Uh, Rosanna uh, has been so kind as to agree to uh, show up for a first Tuesday. First Tuesday, of course, left the hideout. We've discussed that on the show many times. I'm not going to go through that again. Uh, and... Um, so, but anyway, so we're sort of uh, nomads. Uh, we were in Rosanna's ward uh, in November at Nighthawks. Uh, Rosanna was sick. Otherwise, she, Carlos is, uh, was it your uh, was your sister there or your brother? I can't remember which. When some sibling of Carlos was there, uh, but not Carlos. He was busy campaigning, I think. Uh, and, uh, but Rosanna uh, uh, was sick, so she couldn't make it. We're going to be at Promontory in Hyde Park uh, on December 6th. I think it's December 6th, Tuesday, uh, the first Tuesday of December. Uh, and uh, Rosanna will be there. Joe Winston will be there, who's the director of Punch 9. He's just going to open up with some clips from the great movie Punch 9 about Harold Washington. And part of the one of the things he's going to show is Richard Mellon, all his glory. glory. I, have, I have that in quotes. Uh, that is the same Richard Mellon whose machine will just do anything to defeat uh Rosanna, which is probably why I will support her forever. Uh, <laughs> Mel goes this way, I go the other way. Uh, and so, and then Leslie Hairston, uh, she's sort of our welcoming uh, older woman. It's her ward. The promontory's in the fifth ward. Uh, she's uh, retiring. She's not running for re-election. She will be there uh, as well. Uh, she was on, I think, I believe she was one of the aldermen who didn't show up to the meeting on Monday. So I'm sure we'll be talking about that. Uh, and uh, we'll also be talking about uh, city council democracy, Harold Washington, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, audience get to ask questions. It's going to be a great, uh, fun and entertaining and enlightening night. Don't you think, Rosanna? It is. I am really excited. See you all there.
Yes, very good. Uh, so let me just double check, make sure I have the right date, because I have dyslexia, guys, and I always screw things up. And uh, yes, uh, Tuesday, December 6th, 6.30, Promontory, uh, first Tuesday, Maya Dukmasov and myself, Joe Winston, Leslie Hairston, and Rosanna Rodriguez. All right, Carlos and Rosanna, thank you so much. Uh, thank for, you, Ben. For coming on. You guys are awesome. And uh, it's fun talking politics with you. Yes. All right. You're our favorite old white man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an angry old white guy. God damn it. <laughs> middle age, middle age. Uh, oh, God, now middle age. Boy, you are really uh, lowering the bar in what counts as middle age or raising the bar in one or the other. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, I'm Ben Drofsky. Take care, everybody. 